So I went to the grocery store this week, didn't you, Josh? Uh, yeah, just went there today, by the way. You know, I remember we grew up in a small town and there was like one grocery store in town. Yeah, one or two. I think I think the one pushed out the other one because we had that red owl for a while. Oh, yeah, until another one came in. Right. <laughs> and had a little bit more selection in things. Yeah. But there was a we kind of saw the death of the small town grocer in a lot of ways. Yeah, we did. And we saw really, especially having now gone to like larger metropolitan areas, we've seen kind of how uh, what foods are available and even how it even gets there in the first place has really changed a lot. Yeah. And um, that's something to think about. And I want people that are listening to think about this. So think about when you grew up and how the grocery store has changed as we launch out onto the loop and discuss today on Curiosity Continuum. Thank you for joining us today on Curiosity Continuum. For those of you tuning in for the first time, Curiosity Continuum is a podcast and movement started by two lifelong friends who want to spark your curiosity, help you integrate information, and enhance your everyday contextual awareness in a constantly changing world by sharing conversations with you that examine, explore, and reframe common practical topics. All right, so I want to tell you guys where to find us. You can find us at www.curiositycontinuum.com. From there, you can find us on all of our socials. We're pretty much everywhere you want to be or you actually are. Right, Brian? <laughs> yes, and maybe one place you don't want to be. But... Yeah, and then we won't talk about that place. <laughs> <laughs> but please, please uh, come and, and subscribe and, and listen to something. Josh, I actually had uh, permission from a parent. I said, can I please share your 15-year-old's feedback? on oh, the podcast. Yeah. And so uh, this is uh, Avery, and he's 15, and his dad is Luis. And so uh, what he had said was it was very good and very insightful. So they raised a lot of good points and that are very critical, that are important for learning and growing leaders and other people in a growing and changing world. So it was actually something where a, a young man is seeing like, boy, this is really helping give things to the growing leaders. Now, in context, his dad is a, is a leadership coach. He's actually, it's uh, Luis is his name, and he actually is a retired lieutenant colonel from the Army. Nice. And he's helping uh, people who, are, who have been like career military kind of go into the private sector and giving them life coaching and, and business coaching and, and executive coaching services. So his son is around his dad and seeing all this happen, and he's saying, you know, we're bringing those good points to bear. So I think that's some really nice feedback. And what encourages me the most is that you have a father and a son actually sharing in that dialogue with one another from this podcast. Right. And that's kind of like our whole goal with this thing. Like we want you guys to talk. We want you to talk with other people. You know, if you're going to talk with your dad or if you're a father sharing with a son or you're a son that's older, maybe sharing with a dad that's even older. You know, like I know that like my father loves this show because he just gets a little, I think he likes it, you know, from a, a standpoint of he gets to listen to me speak, of course, but I think it's also he gets more insight into everyday life today. And I think that's what a lot of people need. Absolutely. That's great. Wonderful stuff. I know my mom listens as well. And again, because my mom likes to hear my voice on the podcast. Sure. But I, I think also, too, it's um, helping just people rethink about something again and just spark the conversation. Yeah, just, is, just reconnect a conversation that we might be having and. Just go on from there. So, Brian, we're talking today about uh, grocers, small town groceries, things like that. 
Um, what do you remember about this? So let's dive in to uh, the 80s and talk about our particular hometown grocery. Our hometown, okay. So Monticello. And so, Monticello, Minnesota, yep. and this was Mouse Foods at the time. Um, you mentioned in the intro there's a red owl there, and I only have vague memories of the red owl. <laughs> I remember going but, there about twice. Okay. And I and remember probably... going there basically because we just moved in the late 80s. We just moved to Monticello, and that was part of the complex there. Okay. There was mouse. There was mouse there, though. I think. Okay. If I remember right. Yep. I'm not sure. I think so. But yeah. Regardless, um, this was for the longest time the only gig in town, unless you want to drive to the next town or a couple towns over to get mm-hmm. your groceries. And uh, you know, I mean, it was always a high quality food, so it wasn't like it was sure. a you know a bad thing. They they ran a nice establishment. They had. Uh, what you'd kind of expect in a small town. So just to give context for that, you know, Monticello at that time in the the greater metropolitan Monticello area was probably about 4,800 people. So there wasn't yep. like a large population. I think the most exotic spice that we ever had in the produce section was ginger. And that yeah. sounds really funny, but ginger it was like... cumin. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it was like, ooh, I have a little bit of ginger. My mom would make this dish and she learned how to make uh, chicken almond ding from a Chinese... Uh, woman who actually was teaching classes how to make some Chinese dishes, nice. and it got passed down, I think, from her mother-in-law, who was Ukrainian. Anyway, but uh, my mom always put in less ginger than I asked for because, um, you know, for to the true Minnesota palate, salt and pepper is usually considered spicy, and you right. know, the the most exotic spice on your table at you know where you have the family meal is ketchup. So it's salt, pepper, ketchup is usually what's on yeah. the Minnesota table. Yeah, there. that yeah, that's you know? definitely Midwestern Minnesota. <laughs> She would uh, go to the to the register and she'd buy so little of it, like she'd just offer him, will you take a nickel for the little bit I gave? Because it didn't even register on the, right. the scale at the time. Right. So since growing up, you know, I, I love different kinds of foods. I've had a chance to travel the world a little bit and just even around, you know, like around the, the greater metropolitan areas of other cities and stuff like that. And there's so much fun food. And my mom looked at me one day, she goes, you eat so differently than whatever did you. Did you feel deprived? I go, no. I said, I just decided to venture out on my own because I wanted the the adventure of that. Yeah. So I want to tell a story right here. This is this reminds me of something when, when Brian was talking to his mom about like food and like when he grew up because you know, you're a kid and you don't really have choice. So you're just like, oh, this is the food that's given to me. This is all that's here. My dad tells this story about when he went to college, he never realized there was salad dressing other than uh, vinegar and oil until he went to college. Because his mother, that's all <laughs> yes. she put on the table. Yeah. Vinegar and oil salad dressing. So when he got to college and he's like, they're like, he's like, what are these? And they're like, well, that's, you know, Thousand Island. That's French. That's ranch. That's, <laughs> you know, it like blew his mind. Yeah. So that's and, very true because, like, your context to where you grow up, and that's something we talk about a lot, contextual awareness. Like, what you're used to or what happens to you is, like, your world. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed, Josh, like, going over to your house because your your family cooked very different than mine. Right. And, you know, I, and I still part of the reason I enjoyed going over to your house because we had meat and potatoes every night. <laughs> <laughs> that's something we I did because have. you had spaghetti and stuff. Uh, yeah. I know. And so uh, I remember I went to another friend's house named Andy back in fifth grade and I had frozen peas. Now my mom had always bought peas in a can and it was just sure. like, I'm like, these are amazing peas. Like what's so <laughs> special about them? And Andy's mom was like, they're just frozen peas. 
And to me, it sounds funny, but like that was a revelation. Like they have frozen peas. And it was just because that was never like where my parents went was never in the grocery option. store. Yeah. No. Yeah. Frozen pizza actually was never an option because mm-hmm. um, it just, they didn't do it. Like my mom made homemade pizza. And so with like when I'd see people like, you know, remember the Tony's pizzas yes. that they yeah. had? Like I saw people have them going like, people buy frozen pizza. Like why don't you just make it at home? It's because we had, I had so much... This is what my parents brought to the table as far as what their sensibilities were. And like you had mentioned, Josh, like my dad was like serious meat and potatoes guy. <laughs> and when I say meat and potatoes, I mean meat and potatoes. And I potatoes. Mean, because... Every night, if those weren't there, that wasn't dinner. <laughs> he, that's the lane he stayed in. <laughs> he yep. was happy with that. You know? That's cool. Uh, uh, <laughs> exactly it. When we, when I started to go... Uh, when we were able to drive, when Josh and I were able to drive, sure. you know, Mall yep. of America was in striking distance. And I was with Josh actually when I tried. That's a Bach whole other Bob. story, by the way. That's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next time for other stories about the the many trips Trying to Mall of America. Trying to get to Mall of America was one story. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. When I went to Mall of America, when we actually made it there, um, I had baklava, and I'd never had baklava. But I had it for the first time with Josh. Right. You know, and it was like going, oh, this is what this is. I mean, like, there was no baklava mix at the no, small town grocery that we were part of. Yeah. And the same reason, too, I went and um, his Josh's dad had a career, we had a career shadowing day at school. So we followed his dad. Oh, yeah. And we went, we went to this Chinese restaurant at the University of Minnesota college campus, and I had hot and sour soup for the first time. And I loved it. And I mean, it's been, if I go to a Chinese restaurant and I can order hot and sour soup, like I will, because I always love to see what they have. Right. You know, um, but let's go, let's wheel it back a little bit because I think what's happened, especially more and more now is families have gotten busier. They've sure. gotten uh, more harried or the, yeah. trying to do things on the go. There's more and more packaged foods or more things that you're just eating out to go do. And more and more services where like, for example, you and I, like we could subscribe to a service right now to get dinner sent to us every night yeah and we have to cook it but you're still eating at home quote unquote right but we're not really so uh, just go ahead brian i interrupt yeah you. no you're good it, it's the there's a big convenience factor and this yes. is kind of where we want to talk about the way that supermarkets came uh, i had a client who used to be in supermarkets and he owned a few of them and, he, you know, he ended up pivoting and going into restaurants Sure. So because dynamics of, of grocery stores, especially small town grocery stores, became more and more difficult. I can't believe how they can make it. I mean, the, the margin must be so low. I mean, that's why you're seeing all the all the consolidation of like, you know, sure. Kroger and Publix and, and those type of chains is because they have the buying power to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, you gave a statistic earlier, like as we were kind of uh, before we hit the record button about the cost that. Or the, the amount that people spent before World War II and after World War II Right, food. so before World War II, I was actually researching this a lot, and I, I've talked to a few people that are very knowledgeable. Before World War II, we spent around 30%, maybe a little more, of our income on food. Now, after World War II, it's been going down steadily since then, but we're between you know 10 and 12% now of our income. On food so think about that I mean like how are they keeping those prices so low big corporations big corporations and cheap labor is how they're doing it and you also have subsidies from the government on right. certain crops so you're and you're also suffering in quality in that though 
Right, because you have single strains or right. whatever it is of a particular thing because what people want when they go to the grocery store and you buy a product is a is familiar the, thing. Yeah. It's consistent. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like any restaurant, like even if it's not the, the best quality and it's consistent, you'll probably go back because at least you know what you're getting. You know what I mean? No, like, I get that. I My whole thing is too, when I go to the grocery store, I know what I can get. And if I can't get it there, I'll go to another one. But yeah. I want certain things. Like I want this, 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 and this. Which that's a that's very much um you think about it if something wasn't in season or there wasn't those kind right. of things, it's like, oh it's not available now. We'll, we'll about, eat it when it becomes available. Yeah, exactly. Think about like you know, eighteen hundreds. Like you went to the store, well, a store, quote unquote. Maybe it was just like a farmer's market or whatever. Oh, we have squash today. And so you were eating squash for, you know, six weeks. <laughs> but today, I mean, yeah. it amazes me. I go to the store. I don't care what time of year it is. I go in the middle of winter. I go in the middle of summer. I can get whatever I want. Yeah. So, I mean, how are they doing? How is that yeah. happening? Some of it is infrastructure and some of it, too, I think. Um, is the you world know, economy, I, do you think? World? Well, yeah. There's also ways that people grow food now that it, you've just scaled it up. You very know, true, it's like very true. Why, you can have tomatoes year round, and I guarantee you that tomatoes don't grow year round. No, unless the, you have artificially created the environment. So, for it. okay, so where you live, Brian, you live. Brian lives in the greater Nashville area, so they grow tomatoes. If you were growing tomatoes in your garden, you would do it in the summer, right? Yeah. So I live in southwestern Florida. So when we plant our tomatoes in our garden, is December. Is December. Ah, gotcha. So we plant them in December, harvest them around. February. And that's the crop that grows. Right. And I mean, they do have like commercial crops on here that grow tomatoes all year round, but those are hybridized. And there's like, but if I was going to the store and picking up my tomato plants, I do that in December, right? Right around Christmas, which is (laughs) growing from (laughs) coming from the Midwest. It floors me that we can do that. But right. But you live in a climate that does. Right. Right. And I enjoy it because I do love growing my own vegetables don't don't you know i love it so yeah and i love the i love eating josh's vegetables and (laughs) other people's vegetables yeah you know i haven't haven't struck into the gardening realm yet but i think i'm i I would love to do it um i think some of it too this is actually a good thing too as more and more people kind of move into cities they get more and more detached from where the food comes from you know like what actually goes to the store and it's there and you get it you know and it's like oh they got they have this now or sometimes they might you know have things that are seasonal or not. But a lot of times too, especially as the, the foods that we eat get more and more international, especially if it's like produce, um, you have to pick it so far in advance sure. that when it gets there, it, it tastes different. And so one, so, one, yeah, uh, go you, were ahead. Sa- you were talking about dragon fruit. Yeah. So I, I really like dragon fruit when I eat it in China. <laughs> like it's because a, you had I, it when it was I, ripe. <laughs> it was ripe. And I took a couple of trips there and I'm like, Oh, dragon fruit. Yeah, I'll try it. I guess, you know, and yeah. man, it was awesome. And then I tried to find one in Nashville and it was just absolutely terrible. Yeah, Cause they have to pick you know? it, you know, tw- you know, 25 days before it's ripe. Right. And that's and another reason why in the grocery store, we don't have a lot of selection because right, you, they pick good products. I'm sorry, Brian, for interrupting you again, but you, no, no, they you're pick, good. Keep they going. pick good products that ship well and that can be picked early. So like if I pick an orange 30 days before it's ripe, there has to be a certain species of orange I can pick. Right. 
But there's a lot of other species that we can grow in our own backyards, especially in southwestern Florida where I live, that, you know, they ripe on the vine and they're just so much. I remember the first time I moved down here. and uh, So I moved down here full time in 2007. And I remember the first time somebody gave me a Florida orange. I'm like, you know what? I had oranges before. And they're like, no, this is a good one. Try it. And it was so juicy, so good. I was like, give me like 40 more. You know, (laughs) I couldn't believe how good that orange was because the only oranges I've ever eaten before that, I was in Minnesota. We get them in like December. They were picked in Florida and, you know, September. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and that's the thing. Or Brazil or wherever they're picked. And it was amazing. Yeah. So, so we get to experience some of the world now, but you're, you're not experiencing it in the way that you would have even 30 years ago or something like that, where you were still right. keeping it more local. And I think people have realized that um, as they, they go out to farmer's markets and say, what else is available? Sure. Whether it's, you know, pastured meats or it's... Um, you know, different types of varieties of greens and, and other things that are available at farmer's market. And I, I know that um, Nashville area has a lot of good farmer's markets going on because I think people are aware. And if you go outside of Nashville, there's still enough green land sure. and things where people want to go and do that. Sure. Um, but I think people more and more are, are increasingly suspicious of their food supply, like what's going into it, what, and they want to know a little more. You see this a lot. You see like non-GMO or... You know, and that's genetically modified organics for anybody that's thinking about it. But when you really think about it, like, what is that? Like a like a a stock of corn is GMO. I mean, whatever corn you eat has been genetically modified. Those little baby corns that you get, like in a Mexican or a Chinese restaurant, I'm sorry. Those are like the original corn. (laughs) <laughs> so we have modified them, whether through selective breeding or whatever, to be bigger. Yes. So, and then a lot of people don't realize that our corn, like a lot of our corn goes to feed the animals that we eat. Yeah. So when you're thinking about it, when you think about like, I don't want GMO or I don't want modified stuff, what are you really saying? Do you want something that is pure? Or do you want something that is doesn't have pesticides and herbicides and all that stuff thrown on it? Yeah, there, there's a very careful thing because organic is popular. Now, look, it, I love to eat as natural and as organic as, as I possibly can. You know, try to get right. food the as close to where it came from as possible before I do my cooking and things to it. Just because I understand where the food came from. But you have to really read very carefully on anything that says, uh, you know, it's a special kind of dietary thing and understand what it means because yeah. it's also a marketing term as well. It's meant to designate something. Yeah. But for example, like where we get our meat from a CSA uh, called Peaceful Pastures and love what they do. Yeah. And I've They're had technical- some of this meat. It's fantastic. <laughs> and you know what? They are not organic because the organic certification costs money. Right. But they pasture all their animals. And sure. so, again, it's knowing where that comes from. Um, one thing I think to keep in mind when you think about this is like, you know, what have I what have I tasted? What have I, I purchased at the grocery store? Now, look, there's a lot of conveniences that come along with it. But I think it's people becoming aware of like, I need to understand where, uh, who I'm supporting, 
where this is coming from. It's just important to have that awareness about what's going on with it. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. You know? And it's wonderful that now we have less and less of our income going to food because that means it's freed up to do other things. And yet you got to wonder, like, are some of the foods that I'm eating, if I'm eating pounding Doritos five days a week, you know, is that contributing to my overall health and wellness? I mean, <laughs> the, <laughs> the short answer is it, it's contributing, but probably not in the way that you would want it to contribute. Right. Um, you know, there there are considerations where what you what you eat and how you're getting it and everything like that is is uh, going to influence you and is influencing our children now too and future generations. And I think it'll be an interesting thing to watch, especially in this country, how how food is delivered, how food is consumed. You know, are we going to see a, a change in that? You know, there's a lot of economic structures that go onto it. So more than you say, oh look, here's a uh, a great grocery store I can go and get my food. Just remember that there's economics that they're choosing which things they put on the shelf, what things they don't where they're getting it from, what's actually selling. You can't have product that doesn't sell in a grocery store. It's just they'll go out of business. Exactly. And um, I want to put out there for everybody, like what Brian is saying, you know, think about the economics of where you're shopping. Think about what they're doing, you know, to get that food and the mom and pop and all that. And if you guys, and I want to put that out there, if you guys get your food from a, you know, if you grow it yourself or if you're doing this yourself, we want to hear from you. Yeah. Right. We want to know. Yeah. Because I, mean, I think less, more yeah. and more people don't know some of the basics of gardening or, sure. or if they want to have animals, what that even means. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, it's a good kind of analog thing to probably talk about just so people have some basic awareness of it. Yeah. And I also think it's also good for like a base. Like if you just want to grow, you know, some vegetables or you just want to grow some spices or some herbs, like, Let's just, you know, hear from you. See what you guys grow. And if you do it, why do you do it? Yeah, that's great. This is a topic that could, I think, spin off to uh, other conversations or a longer time. But we want to honor our, everybody's time who's listening today. So I think we'll put a comment in the conversation here until sure. next time. So this is Brian. And this is Josh. For Curiosity Continuum. Mm-hmm.